podcast to examine and discuss policies that affect rural Tennesseans. We have been studying health care uh, from several angles, Medicaid, a national health program, program, and rural hospital closures. Today we are going to talk to a provider of health care in a rural area. Dr. Amy Evans is a pediatrician and the owner of her own practice in Swanee for how many years, Amy? 25 years. 25 years, and, and you look so young. <laughs> it's, I hang out with the younger crowd. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> so, Dr. Evans, welcome. What brought you to rural Tennessee, and why did you stay? Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, we were living in Houston, and my husband was at Rice, and I was at Texas Children's, and we loved our jobs. But we didn't want to raise our children in an urban area. So when the job came up for my husband at the University of the South, I looked for positions in the area um, as a pediatrician. And they actually were recruiting um, to Sewanee, um, or they weren't really officially recruiting, but when I expressed an interest, they were willing to help get me started. And um, there, it was a little daunting because there had not been a pediatric practice for many years, and so I essentially started started the practice. And um, it, there have been many challenges, and um, it's been quite an adventure. Um, so, when you're in pediatrics, you don't have one patient; you have the family. Absolutely. That um, you practiced in urban areas mm-hmm. in your career. Is there anything unique about the families you see uh, here? Missed appointments, transportation problems? Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, in urban areas, there's public transportation. But I think folks that are struggle um, with poverty are, have a lot of similarities. Um, um, no matter where they regard, live. No matter where mm-hmm. they live. But, but access to care is absolutely an issue in rural areas. And... Um, and and de- and therefore delaying needed care mm-hmm. is an issue. There's not too many physicians no. that practice in a rural area, right? And we're going to talk about you know different things with reimbursement, and and they've uh, like the um, Academy of Family Practice and probably pediatrics too is trying to uh, to make rural care more appealing mm-hmm. by helping with loans and that t- type of thing. Right. But um, sometimes living in a rural community isn't really the best thing for their their families too with maybe some education issues or transportation mm-hmm. or certainly not being you know uh, paid uh, quickly or efficiently to mm-hmm. be able to maintain that so it's as so many things that we talk about on this podcast it's complicated it's you know complicated. and it's multi-faceted um we also talked about payer mix on the podcast this combination of payer sources that pay well like commercial insurance, and then TenCare, um, which is Tennessee's Medicaid program, and Cover Kids. TenCare and Cover Kids are both for uh, pediatric patients, um, children, and over half or almost half of the children in Tennessee are on TenCare. Is that right? That's my understanding. Okay, so you have sixty-six um, percent of your patients are on TenCare. Yes. Is that unusual? I think not in a rural area, and. And I'm, I, I, that may be the patient, patient mix, but more of our visits, sometimes even 80% of our visits in a day might be with families whose children are covered by Medicaid or TenCare. And how is that reimbursement as compared to commercial insurance? 
Um, well, it's a, it's a challenge because in Tennessee, Medicaid only pays 66% of Medicare. Um, so for the same amount of work. You know? Okay. So, so that's a challenge because my overhead is I don't pay my nurses 66%. My utilities aren't 66%. So it is a challenge to, you know, um, make ends meet sometimes. And, um, I mean, I would go back to other challenges living in a rural area is because there are fewer physicians. Call is much more frequent. Okay. Which makes it harder on family life. And, and if you're... And it's just because some families might have private insurance, that doesn't mean they're not struggling too. Mm-hmm. So, so many families still struggle with the deductibles and the co-pays and, and the co-pays for medications, um, even if they're not on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And, and I, don't, I don't have the comparison with urban areas, but my sense is even if families have private insurance, they're still working very hard to, um, to pay for the, the costs of health care. Why do you think it's 66%? Do you think there's an assumption that your patients are smaller <laughs> or, <laughs> or um, not as complex? I think so much of the money in that goes to insurance companies, it's, it's just profit-driven. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we, we could pay rural providers. We could pay nurses. We could, you know, we could take care of all of our families' health care needs if we weren't supporting the system where there was so much profit for the insurance for companies. And, uh-huh. Well, there's profit for the Tennessee. Medicaid is, um, was privatized in Tennessee in 1994. So TennCare is managed by the MCOs, the managed care organizations, and they're, they're private insurance companies. So kind of like, a, like an HMO. Oh, that's a, well, that's different. In the, in the, it's, it's insurance companies that manage the state's budget for 10K. Okay. Um, so that is different than the HMO, a health maintenance organization. But, um, and I'm not a health policy person by any means. I just swim in this every day. So, so <laughs> um, I, I mean, it, it has, is challenging for families, and um, especially when 10, 10 care has been... Um, um, with withdrawing insurance from families, and they don't even know that they don't have insurance until mm-hmm. they come to my office mm-hmm. and have a, a sick child. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we need we see them, but then that it takes months, sometimes longer, to get that sorted out. And I want to talk a little bit more about that too. But you said about swimming in in the business aspect. Um, how much time does billing um, working with health insurance for employees? Um, data collection, that type of um, business management, personnel mm-hmm. management, how much does that uh, cut into your ability to care for patients? Well, a lot of that I do after hours or on the weekends, but um, I, I, and then throughout the day in between patients, so it's, it's hard to count up hours, but it is more and more, I'll tell more you that. More and more. Um, part, of, part of the reason, though, is we've We've been engaged in a PCMH, um, patient-centered medical home, a process to become a patient-centered medical home, which is just good, basic primary care. But that's been a several-year project that has taken a lot of extra time, which I'm actually excited about um, and really is what primary care should be. But but just the, the need to... Um, justify what you've done to insurers and... For instance, 
we were recently denied five or six visits because they didn't get a fax on the day of service, although they did get a fax, and it, it took my office manager and my biller several hours to gather up the data. We absolutely had sent them a fax that we were the patient, the, the patient's primary care provider that day because it changes frequently, um, and we had sent the fax, but the insurance company didn't. Um, I, I, I'm not sure, but, but we had to prove again to them. We indeed sent the facts. They wouldn't trust that we just our cover letter for the facts. So we actually had to find through lots of recycled paper um, just documentation from the fax machine that it was faxed. Mm-hmm. So that that's just we found it all. But in, in what world does does a professional have to prove? that they did the work, that they faxed a piece of paper on the day of service or they won't get paid. Right. That's called the PCP lock-in, and it's for for the 10K Bureau to collect data to um, attribute costs to different primary care providers. So if you're not the primary care doctor of the day, they wouldn't attribute the cost of that patient for the next two weeks. So it's really about data collection, but it really shouldn't impact the per- the, the people right. that are doing the work. Yeah, the data collection is important, but and then when you have a hassle like that, you're not reimbursed for that. No, of course oh, not. Oh, gee, I'm sorry, this took an extra hour. Here's another right. ten, well, 66 cents. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, I've had some experience with with all that. Let's go back um, to 10 care and, and dropping 270 children from their roles. Uh, this year, and I had thought, um, I had read that it, the number was really up to like 400,000. Mm-hmm. But but when I Googled it, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I didn't find that, so that must have been something else. But what was significant about my little search is that it did first break in April, so we went months and months mm-hmm. with, tell us what happened with that. Um, I th- I, I'm astounded sometimes how resilient some of my families are in that they just carry on you know these things happen and they just keep taking care of their children and and fill out the necessary paperwork and and um just carry on but they go without I saw a a patient today or this week that um um lost her insurance and then didn't see a specialist and this was back oh months and months ago and so still hasn't seen a specialist. Now she has her insurance, so we'll, we'll make that referral again. But this has been eight or nine months where she has gone without needed care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just surprising to me that this the mom was a just... Chi- the child. The child. The mom just took that all in stride. And it, it, bothers, it bothered me more than it seemed to bother her. But I'm not sure. It, maybe she just thought she had fa- it was her fault because she didn't fill out she said she didn't get the packet from the insurance company, um, but this is what I hear from a lot of families. They they didn't have their paperwork up to date, and so they didn't get some mailing, so it was mailed again, but it takes way too long to get it sorted out. So they people. accepted the, the, the blame for... Yeah, yeah. But it happens mm-hmm. weekly where we had twins. Um, the, their address hadn't changed. Their parents' jobs hadn't changed. One twin was denied coverage, then the other still had coverage. And that happened two years in a row for mm-hmm. physical. And mm-hmm. it took months to sort that out. Or 
children to children with pneumonia who grandma didn't know they didn't have insurance till they came to our office and of course we're going to take care of them but they took months to get that sorted out and get paid so they got the care right and, and that and you waited for it to get straightened oh, for, out for your yes and when they got the insurance back then we were denied um it was it was our services were denied because we weren't the pcp <laughs> we weren't okay. the primary that care provider takes a- but no one was the provider because they didn't have insurance mm-hmm. so that was another few months of and so, you know, at some point, you, you could just give up because it costs more to try to even mm-hmm. argue the case. Mm-hmm. And what other business right. um, can, and can put up with that? I go to right. the store. I forgot my checkbook. I can take all my groceries home? No. Right. <laughs> right. If I haven't tried that, what do you think? Right. Okay. Right. And, and what maybe insurance, they don't, there's a cost to doing what we do. Mm-hmm. So to keep the lights on, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, and that has gotten harder, and there's more and more of those shenanigans. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. That's a good word for them. Um, an, another. Well, I have I have one story of I don't think a, a patient situation um, was hand, was taken calmly, and that was a young girl that I met, um, mm-hmm. and um, Jasper. Um, who was uh, 16. She was diagnosed with diabetes when she was three and insulin dependent. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, something's happened, an infection or something. It's mm-hmm. not that she's overweight and, you know, like, you know, adult onset diabetes. I mean, she does not produce uh, insulin. She needs that to survive. Um, she lost her 10 care and um, her mother called and called and called. And uh, she, she used her grandmother's insulin, her grandmother who was on Medicare, you know, and that, that, that really impacted uh, me hearing her, her story. We hear a lot about the cost of insulin and, and uh, diabetes uh, management and the issues uh, that, but this was, this was something different than the cost mm-hmm. of the medication. It was a, a mistake mm-hmm. uh, that was made, um, whether it was, paperwork or you know mm-hmm. what I think it is quite a bit of uh, pa- paperwork right. but I think from the things that I've read there there's some error it's not all with the families there's right. some error with the, the state and, and the, the administrators and so I had of that. A, had a ba- saw a baby just a couple of weeks ago who needed to see a specialist and um, they I, I think mother doesn't have insurance I'm not sure of the details, of, and, but they were signing the baby up for 10 care because normally the newborn is covered under mom for a while, but mother doesn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so the baby doesn't have insurance. Baby needs to see a, a hematologist, needs to see a specialist. And um, 10 care wouldn't, wouldn't expedite it. It was going to take 45 days. And how urgent did you think that was to see that well, hematologist? Well, um, the baby needed to be screened for a bleeding disorder before circumcision. Okay. And so so the procedure can't be done. And so now, if the parents choose to do this, it'll have to be done under general anesthesia with the urologist. It's much more expensive. So it's had they been able to expedite this and we could have um, screened this baby and, and cleared this baby, we could have done the circumcision for a lot less expensive, but, a lot less expense. But... Um, 
it just was surprising to me that they wouldn't expedite this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And who do you think made that decision? Um, someone in the insurance okay. world. Yeah. Okay. Not another physician. Oh, yeah. Physicians, in the past, I could it could be physician to physician um, discussion, but, but that's harder to... To get, to, to get done now. So if it's, I was told if it was urgent, it would be 45 days. If it wasn't, it would be 90 days to get to talk with the doctor to try to get needed services for a patient then. Okay. A big frustration for you must be getting affordable medication for your patients. Absolutely. Almost on a daily basis. Because mm-hmm. it changes just based on what the insurance companies, what contract they got with the... You know, and, and I'm all for... You know, cost-effective, you know, and you know, of course, medically effective medication. Sometimes a less expensive medicine is equally good. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm all for that. But children don't fit in boxes. They they don't they don't necessarily fit in certain categories. So sometimes, um, you know, if you know your patient and you're advocating for them, but <clears throat> they don't fit in a certain category, they'll deny. Uh, or make you go through all sorts of hoops that takes a lot more time to to get a needed medication for. Talk about your patient with the behavioral. Yeah, problem. so a, a, a perfect example of this is, so I have a patient who doesn't fit in any kind of a box. He's one of a kind, and, and he does have, um, uh, he's a special needs child, and now he's a teenager, and his great grandparents are raising him. And we see a great lot of grandparents. Great grandparents. We see a lot of grandparents raising grandchildren, but this is great grandparents. And he was getting aggressive towards his great grandmother, and there was concern: could he even still stay in the home? And they wanted him to stay in the home, so he was doing well on a short-acting medicine. Um, and I wanted to, but. That medicine had to be given every four hours, and so that was hard to remember mm-hmm. to do. So I wanted to change into a long-acting form of that medicine that was very gentle, not sedating, wouldn't increase his behavioral problems, wouldn't increase seizures. Um, but I had to try two ADHD medicines first, according to the insurance company. But he didn't have ADHD. It was This was more for impulsive impulsivity. Um, an aggressive behavior. So I asked to speak with the doctor. And, and ADHD told, is uh, oh, the attention, attention deficit, deficit hyperactivity disorder. So, so I asked to speak with the doctor, and they said it would be 45 days if it was urgent and 90 days if it was if it was not urgent. I said, well, no, I'd really like to speak with someone sooner. And the pharmacy tech with the insurance company asked me if, if it would hurt his heart if he didn't get this medicine. I said, no. Would it hurt his lungs if he didn't get this medicine? I said, no. So she went through like 10 different system, body systems. And, and, and no, it wasn't going to hurt his kidneys if he didn't get his medicine. But I said, it will hurt his great-grandmother, and he might have to go into foster care if he doesn't get this medicine. And that still didn't prompt her to... to approve it. Because it wasn't on the list. It was on, wasn't on the list, and he didn't fit into any category. So I prescribed an ADHD medicine, gave it to the grand, great-grandfather, and said, don't, you know, go ahead and fill it, but don't give it to him. And then two weeks later, I prescribed another one, go ahead and fill it, but don't give it to him. And then after a month, I could prescribe the medicine you wanted I to wanted. And he did really well on, he's done really well on that medicine. That has helped. But um, in that month, he went to the ER once because of behavioral problems. 
and the family took him to a, um, a psychiatric facility that they they wouldn't accept him because he hadn't been referred, but they just were in crisis. And so the family suffered more, and the expense was higher. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I couldn't even try to advocate for my patient with a doc to doc conversation. So mm-hmm. that that's a especially egregious example of of the the hoops we have to go through to get what we need for our patients. We mm-hmm. know the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've studied a long time and yeah. have a lot of experience to know that. So so I know that people worry about government interference with their health care and uh, but but the insurance mm-hmm. and the people that manage even, like you say, 10 care is managed mm-hmm. by an insurance company is, mm-hmm. is really interfering Absolutely. You know, much more. Uh, and they're motivated by profit where the CDC is government. They're motivated by public health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'll, they have a fantastic website. They have good information. They, you know, they, I, I trust the information from the CDC and and or Center for Medicaid and Medicare Studies. That's a government agency that will approve, um, you know, if, if it's approved by CMS, you know that's a valid study. You know, you, mm-hmm. you know so I, I, the oversight is good because mm-hmm. you can't be on top of everything, you know. So, but, um, but if, if the oversight is from an, in, from an institution that is profit-driven, you, you can't necessarily trust the advice. Mm-hmm. And when Carol Paris was here for our last podcast, mm-hmm. she had more experience with, with Medicare, and, mm-hmm. and as I have as well as an oncology nurse practitioner mm-hmm. for many years, um, Medicare didn't interfere. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a much, uh, well, they don't have a profit margin because mm-hmm. they're a government. They have less administrative costs. I think I want to say three percent, mm-hmm. as opposed to in the teens, twenties, mm-hmm. maybe seventeen percent. I, I don't remember now. It's probably more than that. I think I'm getting that mixed up with the I think amount the Affordable of Care Act said you could only take twenty percent. You could only take twenty percent. Used to be higher, maybe, but mm-hmm. and I, I don't know different insurance companies. Now. I but I, I've seen like seventeen, eighteen versus three percent Medicare. Right, right, and yeah. we never. Um, I think there were things that weren't covered, and I know there's a lot of co-pays and different things with, with Medicare, but, but um, overall I felt that we were able to practice um, mm-hmm. medicine and mm-hmm. the physicians that I worked with you know, much, much mm-hmm. easier uh, than commercial insurances. Mm-hmm. So, um, and to just make the point that Medicaid is commercial insurance. Well, it's 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 the not funding it, comes through the state, but in Tennessee and the federal government, but we have yeah, but the, in Tennessee it's privatized through okay. the insurance companies. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So, so that's they're making a little something from that. Yeah, from and, I, and I don't know what the you don't know what that is. is. No. Okay. Is there anything else you would like to say today, provider? <laughs> well, um, I I think just to make the point that we talked so much about. Coming to the doctor, so much of health happens way before you go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. What happens in the home, at the dinner table, is is really far more important, quite honestly. So, you know, I, you know, habits start young, good and bad. Mm-hmm. So if if we, you know, encourage our families, our children to get a good night's rest, to so this is kind of your action plan eat lots for of, us. Yeah, eat lots of fruits and vegetables, eat whole grains, 
um, um, turn the screens off. I mean, use it, use it as a tool, but don't let it control you. Um, get lots of exercise together. Avoid those sugary drinks. Have fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, cut up. Have fun. I, I, I think um, you, you wouldn't need to go to the doctor as much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an apple a day. Absolutely. Which, which is good, too, but, you know, not apple juice. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So that's our so that that's our um, that's our action plan. I I actually have seen um, Dr. Evans in action. I, I shattered her in the office when I uh, began working in a clinic, to polishing up my pediatric skills to practice um, family practice. And you're amazing. You spend so much time with your patients, explaining and um, establishing rapport with the child. Well, thank and, uh, you. You know, children are children are hard because they don't uh, they don't uh, tell you. Oh, they do. Well, you they do. You have to speak their language, <laughs> which is why I didn't do very well in pediatrics. Um, and for my basic, you know, program, I wasn't good uh, with you know taking the teddy bear's heart rate. <laughs> but then when I did some pediatrics at Children's Hospital in Atlanta, mm-hmm. then then I was almost too silly for adults. <laughs> You can't take yourself too seriously to hang out with children. That's, that's true. But, but well, then you are better than me because I would have teenagers that, you know, why are you here today? You know, and yeah. Grandma was bringing them and didn't really know. And, and it really takes a lot of digging to see, well, I have a stomach ache. Well, you know, what have you eaten? What did you eat this weekend? What did you do this weekend? Right. You know, to kind of right. tease that out because it might have been something but, that maybe what they were supposed to be doing. But that's what we go doing. to school for. I mean, that's... Those are challenges that I welcome, you know, mm-hmm. just taking the history and, and really understanding and, and doing a comprehensive physical and making a diagnosis and, and having a differential. What else could it be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and coming up with a plan. And, and so that's, those are the challenges that I welcome. And, and medicine, that's where we should be, our minds should be free, not, mm-hmm. not in the morass of the dysfunctional healthcare system or mm-hmm. disease management system that we work, work in. We um, want to be, right. uh, work in health and right. keep people um, strong right. and healthy and happy. And, um, you know, with children, you've got a whole lifetime of health that you want to facilitate. Right. So For, I'm all about prevention. All about prevention. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Evans, Amy. Well, thank you, Sandy. Um, I wanted to give, uh, before we close today, a little bit of an update. Early in this long series on healthcare, like it's been going on for months, um, we talked with uh, Anna Rankin from the Tennessee Justice Center about the differences between Medicaid, Medicaid expansion, and something new called the Medicaid Block Grant. Uh, we said that Governor Lee wanted to apply for a block grant for Tennessee, the first governor in the country to do so. Well, that plan has been released for public comment for the next 30 days. Then it all goes back to the federal government for further discussion and negotiation, and also to determine its legality, because there are some questions about that. Basically, a block grant is a fixed amount of money to complete a project. And usually we think of this maybe for road construction or a school program, um, so things don't get you know out of out of control. 
Uh, it's a set amount of money. Our guests uh, on the podcast and many experts are opposed to the changes a block grant would have on an estimated million Tennesseans, including children in our TennCare or Medicare, Medicaid program. Um, I will be attending some sessions about the proposal in the next couple of weeks and would like to share with you what I learned so that you could participate in the comment process if you desire. Now the Tennessean has um, covered this really pretty well and there also has been an article recently in the Washington Post. There's been some articles over the last few months in the New York Times and also the Chattanooga Times Free Press. Remember, you can um, go to your library and ask them to assist you in reading about this uh, topic. Um, I'm always asking you to call or write letters to your representatives. So uh, we're going to talk about how to do that without stressing out <laughs> or hating it, like when your mother made you write thank you notes to your grandmother for a dollar at Christmas time. One of the aspects that um, is uh, pertinent to what we've talked about today is that um, I believe Governor Lee feels that the, um, the Tennessee uh, has been very efficient in um, providing health care, and so should be rewarded this kind of experiment. And, uh, you know, I have to say, and it's not like this isn't new news to anybody, is um, I, I, I disagree with that a little bit. And the 10 care snafu mm -hmm. is just one of, of many examples. Mm -hmm. So, so um, as soon as I get some information, I'm going to do a solo podcast. Excellent. And uh, let people know what's going on so that they can um, be involved in and know how that's going. So, well, I, I appreciate you so much, what you're doing. This is wonderful. Well, this, this, these are the you. discussions we need to have. That's right. And we'll just keep on doing it. Yep. Until everything's perfect. <laughs> I also want to do some things about climate change because that yeah. is a hot, get it, hot uh -huh. topic right now. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for listening to What About Us. Bye-bye.